morning. Thanks again, everybody, for being here today. I know there's a lot of stuff you can do on Sunday, so I'm glad you're here, especially if you're a guest. I want to give you a special welcome. Uh, just to catch everybody up, we started a brand new sermon series last week called Fundamentals. And basically, we believe that there are some fundamental things that you need to get into your life to help you grow in your Christian faith. And so especially if you're new to the whole idea of church or Christianity or faith, what does it all mean? You picked a good week to be here because we're going to outline some of those things and some of the tenets. And I don't know if you all played sports growing up or, or continued to play sports or coach or whatever, but one of the primary goals to learning a sport is you got to learn the basics. You have to start at the very uh, premise, the lowest level of sport, and you learn as you go. And even if you get all the way up to the professional level, you still come back to these fundamentals. And so really, I think in every area of life, you have to start with some fundamentals. You learn to crawl before you walk. You learn to kind of coo before you talk. You learn to dribble before you take the soccer field or the basketball court. You learn to form tackle before you take the rugby field or the football field. You learn how to uh, lift the right way before it's your set. All of those things happen. You have to learn some mechanics. And the same thing is true with Christianity. You have to start at the beginning. And for us, we believe it's all about Jesus. That's the beginning. So if you missed last week's message, you can find out why we believe it's all about Jesus online. But today we're going to talk about one of the things Jesus commanded us to do. He actually commanded us to do two things, and that's baptism and communion. So we're going to talk about what is baptism, why is that important. And we're going to talk about communion as well. And we'll take communion actually to end service. Why do we even do that? So to kind of frame this all in a little bit, uh, like many of you, my wife enjoys to watch cooking shows. Uh, this is kind of a win-win for me because oftentimes that means she's going to make something awesome uh, when she's done watching it. And uh, when she realizes what she wants to cook because of the show or whatever, she'll often go find the recipe and she'll uh, create the recipe. In fact, just uh, for fun this morning, I put one of our favorite family recipes in your welcome guide. So aside from sermon notes on your way in, you should have received a fantastic recipe for corn dip. Let me tell you, with football season coming up, you're going to want to have this on hand in bulk. It is fantastic. Fantastic. So enjoy everybody that. Uh, the recipe was actually part of a, a super amazing gift we got uh, at our wedding. And it was kind of secret family recipes from this lady that she in turn handed off to us. It included one of my all-time favorite things, which you all are not getting the rest of the recipe. Uh, it's vanilla sheet cake. Mmm, my. I mean, people, people call it crack cake. I don't know why. I guess it's white and addicting or something. I don't know. I, it's, I've never done crack, nor am I addicted to crack. But nonetheless, uh, it's fantastic. It's incredible. Um, someday I'll have my wife bring it back there to the... I'm not going to make it. I promise you that. But my point is, recipes are vital 
for the survival of culture. You think about how many recipes have had to be handed down through generations so that we as Americans can eat just amazing food. Spaghetti, lasagna, burritos, right? I mean, fajitas, are you serious? Like who thought to put all of these things in something? It's incredible. Recipes, recipe. Where's I going with that? I'm getting hungry. Yes, Here's what I found out during my studies this week. The oldest recipe ever discovered by human beings is from 4,000 years ago. Uh, Mesopotamians in ancient Babylon wrote some stuff on clay tablets. And, and when archaeologists kind of unearthed this and they started deciphering the tablets, they realized it was a poem, but it wasn't just a poem. It was a recipe, apparently you know, 4,000 years ago, they don't have like half a cup or whatever. They had to like create some sort of weird poem to remember the recipe, to hand it off. They didn't have ways to write it down. And so who knows how old the recipe, it could have been 6,000 years old. And they were just telling and it handed off an oral tradition. Finally, somebody was able to write it down. But about 2000 BC, Mesopotamians in Babylon figured out that if You took baked bread and broke it up and stuffed it in a jar and added some water and maybe some honey or fruit. And if you then let it ferment for a while, it created this really tasty drink. Today we call that beer. That's the oldest recipe in the world. It's, it's, I don't know, I found it fascinating. Not only that, but you couldn't just drink it because you get all this nasty bread in your mouth. They made straws. That's how we have straws today. 4,000 years ago, people created straws. I found it quite fascinating. Okay, some of you did not. But that's okay. Because here's the best recipe ever. 200 B.C. A Greek poet and a physician named Nicander wrote down a recipe for pickles. This is really helpful for our conversation today because he uses language we see quite frequently in our Bible. Nicander says that in order to make a pickle, the cucumber has to be dipped in boiling water and then immersed into a vinegar solution. Now, Nicander, obviously a Greek man, wrote in Greek. He used the Greek word baptizo. I put it there in your notes. It's where we get the English word baptize. Baptize. Yeah, that's what academics call a transliteration of a word. So they wrote it in Greek. They had the Greek alphabet. We took the English alphabet and just wrote it, uh, transcribed it the same way. So baptizo is where we get the word baptism. Uh, Some examples of that would be like Shabbat in Hebrew. It means rest. Our word, Sabbath. Sabbath rest. Uh, A Greek word, angelos, means convoy or messengers. Our word, angels. Transliteration, that's how that works. Same thing is true with baptized. So our boy, Nicander, and his pickle recipe, which can we just agree, pickles are amazing. I mean, the Chicago dog, are you kidding me? A cheeseburger with pickles from Freddy's? Yes, please. I don't know why I'm talking about food all day today, but anyway. The kosher dill spear? Holy, you can't go to a baseball game and not get a freaking pickle. Yes, preaching right now. This is what I'm talking about. It all stems from this genius 
Nicander writing down the recipe, and he uses two verbs to describe how he wants the vegetable prepared. The first is a temporary verb. He says, bopto it in boiling water, dip it. Then the second, he says, baptizo it, baptize it. When that happens, baptize it in the vinegar solution. When that happens, a cucumber is no longer a cucumber anymore. You can't go back to a cucumber. It produces a permanent change. It's permanently a pickle. So when this word baptizo is used in our New Testament, it's referring to the change that takes place in us. And the fact that you can't go back to this old life once you've been truly baptized and you're identifying yourself with Christ. How cool is that? Same word used over and over in Scripture. I want to show you an example of this. Uh, So if you brought a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Open it up to Matthew. You want chapter 3. Matthew's going to be towards the back of your Bible. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is how it will go. So if you're in Mark, Luke, or John, take a hard left. You want to find Matthew. While you're getting there, I'm going to say a couple things because we're going to hear about a guy named John the Baptist. And John is an important figure in Scripture. In fact, I did a whole message on it. Uh, We had a series called Redneck, picked out some rednecks in the Bible. You can find that online. John is a quintessential redneck, so let me just fill you in a little bit about him because he's the cousin to Jesus, and he's the last known prophet aside from Jesus that we read about in Scripture. So in the Old Testament, over and over and over, God would speak through men, and those men were called prophets. But for four hundred years. God quits speaking. And then John shows up and he starts preaching this new message of repentance. And the basic message was, you're wicked. You're a sinner. You need to confess that sin. You need to be washed clean. You need to be baptized. God is about to do something. He's about to show up. And if you don't repent and be baptized, you're going to miss it. That was John's entire message. Going back to our word study of this Greek word, baptizo, the Greek word for Baptist is baptiste, John the Baptiste. And this is important for us today because it's the only time in Greek literature that that word is used to describe John the Baptist. Nowhere else will you find that word in Greek literature. And here's why I think it's significant. Because people didn't know what else to call what John was doing. They saw this change, but they didn't know how to describe it. They saw him immerse people in water, but it wasn't like he was washing them. They had a word for that, and they didn't call him John the Washer. They had a word for soaking, like you would soak dishes or soak in a bath, and they didn't call him John the Soaker. They called him John the Baptist. It's hugely important because of what he was doing. People outside of the faith had no idea what to call it. So they had to call it baptizing, dipping, immersing, more importantly, changing people. That's why baptism is so important because it leads to a change. But when I first started reading this whole deal and John the Baptist and all that, I started wondering to myself, well, why did he have to baptize anybody? I mean, what's the whole point of this baptism thing? We don't read about baptism in the Old Testament. Then you get this crazy cat out of the wilderness wearing 
goat skin and eating honey and telling people they need to be baptized. Why is that so important? Well, baptism actually was not a new concept. It did happen. Uh, but for John to tell a Jew they needed to be baptized, that was crazy, scandalous for him to tell clean people in their minds that they needed to be washed clean. See, if you weren't a Jew and you wanted to become a Jew, there was a series of things that you had to do, like you some hoops that you had to get through if you wanted to become a Jew. One of them was, well, the first thing that you had to do, uh, you, you had to get circumcised, okay? So if you're a guy, uh, how many of you all know not many guys were signing up for that, right? I mean, anybody else on that? Okay. No. All right. I mean, I just, you know, hey, babe, you want to become a Jew? You got to be circumcised. I'd be like, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. Thank you for the, you, you go ahead. But anyway, Genesis 17 is where you can read about all of that. Second thing that you had to do is you had to eat a covenant meal. So there's a list of things that you could eat as a Jew, and you needed to start eating those things. You had to have a covenant meal. Third thing that you had to do, acknowledge the law of God. That the law of God given to Moses was now going to be the law of your life. And you no longer could do what you wanted. You had to follow God. And then part of that was making a sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. But then there was this ceremonial washing. So not only did you get your sins forgiven, but you had to be washed clean. And they would walk into this little uh, river, whatever you wanted to call it, and then walk back out to the other side. But get this, nobody washed you. You did that yourself. And then John comes along and says, no, I need to baptize you. I need to dip you and make you clean. You can see where to a Jew, this sounded ridiculous. Why would we need to be baptized? We're clean. We're not trying to become a Jew. We're already Jewish. Enter Matthew 3, okay, starting right in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said 800 years before, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. You can see, John's message was all about repent, God is about to do something. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. God's about to do something. I'm preparing the way. You need to repent and get right with God. He's going to have a new covenant about how you're going to be washed clean. The one Moses had is going to be different than that. And those people who identified with John, they got baptized. They were identifying with his message. They had faith that what John was saying was, in fact, the words of God. Skip down to verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized him by him. But John would have prevented him saying, no, 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 I don't, I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. But Jesus said to him, no. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. He went up from the water. It's important. That's why we believe in full immersion baptism. You can't be uh, sprinkling people and then they get up out of the water, right? I mean, you've got to be under the water. You get up out of the water. 
He went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. You might jot this down if you're taking notes. Baptism is a public declaration. Baptism is a public declaration. You're identifying with the message of Jesus. In this story, people were identifying with the message of John. That's why they were baptized. Now we're identifying with the message of Jesus. I, I often ha- have people ask me, well, pastor, that's how you know you're going to have a good and interesting conversation. They call you pastor. Well, pastor, if Jesus was perfect and he never sinned, then why did he need to be baptized? doesn't need to be forgiven. He's got no sin. Why would he need to be baptized? That's because baptism is not about forgiving sin. It's about about identifying with Jesus. It's a public declaration that you belong to Jesus. See, the reason Jesus was baptized is he was identifying with sinners. Now, sinners are identifying with with Jesus. See that? It's huge. It's the only religion in the world that says God came and identified with you, and then now you can identify with him. Every other world religion says, no, you got to try and do something to ascend to the heights of God. Christianity said, no, God came down to you because he wants to be in a relationship with you. Hugely important. So now we get to identify with Jesus through a public declaration. It's not just public, though. Baptism's also personal. It's a personal declaration. It's very public. It's not out in the open, but it's also very personal. Watch this, Colossians 2, 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, see that? As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. You have been filled with Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Therefore, having been buried with Him in baptism, that's what it's symbolizing, you're buried, you're raised to life. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith. That's what baptism is all about. Death, burial, resurrection. You're dying to yourself. You're being washed. You're being made new. You're not going to ever get a changed bag, just like our pickle and then you are raised to life. That's why we also don't believe in infant baptism. Because you can see clearly from this passage, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. You have to be the one to receive Christ Jesus the Lord in order to be baptized. We think it's a personal declaration, primarily from this passage. Plus, we never see in Scripture any instance of infants being baptized. So that's why we land where we land. If you've got more questions on that, please come talk to me. But I think it's important for everyone to realize that when you're baptized, you ask God, you receive uh, the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. You're baptized, but then you're washed clean for all the wrong that was committed against you. It's vitally important for you to understand that. The Bible talks about you're forgiven and you're washed clean. If you've been sinned and wronged against, you're made new. The old has gone. The new has come. It's a both and. You're forgiven and washed clean. These verses 
are hugely important to you and your life and if you want to understand baptism. When we counsel people that, that sign up and want to be baptized, I try and use the example of a wedding ring. Wedding ring. This ring does not make me married. Let's everybody know that I am married. Same thing is true with baptism. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian. Let's everybody know that you're a Christian. You're taken. You belong to Jesus. Doesn't show you you're saved. It doesn't make you saved. It shows people you are saved. You still with me? Okay. One more text on baptism. Uh, You're in Matthew 3. Just flip a couple pages to your right. Matthew 28 is what you want. If you've ever wondered, what is the point of life? Matthew 28 is going to break it down for you. This is Jesus speaking. Big 28, little 18. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus says, the point of your life, go make disciples. Go make disciples. That's primary verb in this passage, go make disciples. But then he says we also need to baptize them. It's what English majors would call a participle, secondary verb. So first you go make disciples, then you baptize them. It's helpful for us because how do we know if we're making disciples? Well, we're baptizing them. We're seeing people changed, outwardly declaring this inward change that they've become a disciple. How long are we supposed to do this, Jesus? How long should we baptize people? Till the end of the age. Till I come back is what Jesus says. That's why we're all about this as a church. I don't think you can call yourself a church if you're not making disciples and baptizing people. I get very nervous for churches that have never baptized anybody. There's a good possibility they're not really a church because God has commanded us. This great commission is what the heading in your Bible should say. Co-mission. We're on a mission with Jesus. We're supposed to make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. Now, not only are we supposed to baptize, Jesus also says there's something else you need to do until I return again. That's take communion. Take communion. Jesus commanded us to do that publicly until he returns. Uh, Communion and baptism, they're what uh, theologians oftentimes call sacraments because they're sacred. Some people call them ordinances because God ordained them. I don't care what you call it. I just want you to understand there's two things that separate us, uh, and that's baptism and communion. We're supposed to do both. They're fundamental to the Christian faith and worship to God. So this morning, we're going to close our time by taking communion. And I asked the band to, to come up and play a song to help us remember what Jesus did and accomplished for us. And here's why. You can jot this down. Because I believe communion is a reenactment of the gospel. We're rehearsing the gospel. We're remembering the gospel. Gospel is the good news of what Jesus did for us. We remember that. Uh, check this out. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. This is a huge text on communion. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me, the new covenant. So the old covenant was you had to have sacrifices in order for your sins to be forgiven. They outlined, you know, a pigeon is worth this and a goat and all everything. You have to have these sacrifices, the blood on the altar. That's what you read about in the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes along and says, no, this is the new covenant. No longer do we need the sacrificial system. I'm the ultimate sacrifice. My blood's going to wash away away everybody's sin, past, present, and future sin. It's good for all people, anybody who believes. It's the new covenant. Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, it's important, eats and drinks judgment on himself. In other words, communion is not something we take lightly. You have to discern for yourself what Jesus accomplished for you and on your behalf. And if you've never accepted Christ before, then communion is not for you. If you don't understand what his body and blood represents, communion is not for you for you. That's what the Bible calls an unworthy manner. Somebody who doesn't understand Jesus. Someone who looks at this and just says, oh, bread and juice, that's great. Yeah, I'll take some. No, 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 no. This is a separating fundamental element to the Christian faith that we take very, very religiously and importantly because it's about God coming to this earth, being executed on our behalf so that our sins can be forgiven so that your sins can be forgiven so that you can be washed clean so important for you to understand that and so before we even take communion I want you to understand this grace and this love of Jesus as if you're here this morning and you feel like the Holy Spirit is talking to you saying that's you You'd be taking communion in an unworthy manner if you took it right now. You need to trust and put your faith in me. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Because the Bible says, confess your sin and believe in me and you'll be forgiven. So if you're here this morning and and you want to do that with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just ask you to, to follow me in this prayer and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've sinned. I'm sorry I've fallen short. But I believe in Jesus. That he came to this earth. That he lived a perfect life. That he died on a cross. But three days later, rose from the dead. Thank you for saving me. Help me live my life for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we listen to this song and take communion, if uh, the ushers want to come forward and start uh, passing out the elements, I would just encourage you 
to listen to the words of this song. Remember what Jesus accomplished on your behalf. This is a reenactment of what Jesus did. Uh, And then at the end, we'll take communion all together. So just hang on to the element. Just a reminder, the wafer's on the top, so don't just rip the whole thing open or be tough to get the wafer out. Get the wafer out first and then the juice second. But again, just sit, listen to the song, remember Jesus, remember what he's done.